Hey there, industrial marketers. Welcome to the Manufacturing Marketer Podcast, powered by Gorilla76, the industrial marketing agency. This show is about equipping marketers in-house at manufacturing companies with tools, tips, strategies, and tactics to reach your personal and business goals. I'm Brendan Forrest, and joining me today is Aaron Buresh, strategist at Gorilla76. All right, Aaron, today, what I wanted to talk with you about was some of the foundational marketing work that we do to prepare us for content and campaigns, right? And I think when we think marketing, content and campaigns, that's the sexy stuff, right? That's us actually doing stuff, us getting our voices out into the world uh, and connecting with our audience. But there's some very important things that we have to do before we get into actually creating those content and those campaigns. So today, I just wanted to to talk about all of those things. So I don't know, like, what is your what is your thought process there just before we get into the different things that we should be doing just overall, what do you think about this foundational marketing work? Yeah. When I've been an in-house marketer in the past, I've, I've tried to do campaigns and content without this foundational step. And it just feels so daunting. It feels like you're constantly trying to produce stuff. It's just a lot of like grinding, but when you do have this foundation in place, it makes the execution like 10 times easier. Yeah. And I found when you try to build something without this foundational work, the things just fall flat. Like it, it kind of ends up being generic and it loses it the like the vigor of the piece. But when you have it infused with this good foundational work, uh, it adds a lot of life to what you're doing. And I think it, it gives your marketing a lot of legs and it just can helps you connect with your audience a lot better. So before we get started here, I, the things that we're going to be talking about today are doing customer interviews, which is something that I think we might have mentioned on every single episode of The Manufacturing Marketer. Uh, so I want to do a little deeper dive into customer interviews today. Uh, talk about positioning. We'll talk about crafting your brand story or, or go-to-market narrative, uh, creating a content plan, and then just some other additional things to maybe think about here. So Aaron, let's jump into customer interviews and, and talk about why it's so important. So, you know, I just... To me, that's probably the most important thing a marketing strategist can do. Like just having a really solid understanding of who your audience is and what they're doing and the pains that they have just really sets you up for success and everything else that you're going to do. So um, what what are your thoughts on the interview, the interviews with customers? Do you think it's important? Do you think it's not? What, What are your thoughts there? Oh, yeah. I think I'd probably get fired if I said that customer interviews weren't (laughs) important. Good answer. (laughs) I think like a a lot of people um, operate on assumptions. And when you really like think about where those assumptions come from, it's because you probably heard it from a customer at one point or another. The reason your product exists is because a customer has a problem. And I think sometimes we just forget uh, to connect to the actual customer themselves. And it's just such an important first step because it's almost like a game of telephone, right? Like sometimes those assumptions you have they're, they start with like something real that a customer is experiencing. They get kind of warped through all the, you know, marketing corporate jargon people want to introduce. Totally. And this is something that, you know, I, I think it's easy to say, well, we did interviews a decade ago, but it's like the world and business is so different today than it was back in 2013. Right. And this is something that I think you should constantly be doing. And it has to be really, um, intentful, like uh, you have to have a lot of intention in this and it can't just be something that you like just willy nilly do. Um, So like, I think you need to have a plan for this, how to activate your current customers or your prospects to really pull out those key insights that are going to drive and fuel your marketing plan as you move into the next year. Um, You know, 
And you're right. I think there's a lot of assumptions, especially on the marketing side, right? Because we aren't necessarily in the field all the time. Uh, we aren't developing the products. And so we hear a lot of things from sales or we hear it from customer service or we hear it from field engineering. And then we try to take all of that. But you're right. It's through the telephone game, right? And I think we've all played that in elementary school. And the things change as people add to it. And if you don't have the conversation recorded and captured, it's just really hard to really pull in those really key insights or to pull in like those key customer quotes. So yeah, I, this is this is super important. So as you're conducting an interview, Aaron, what are you trying to learn from the customer? I think the biggest things are like, what problems are they facing in their day-to-day? How are they defining success? Um, what does that look like? Because you may define it completely differently. And then I think just their thoughts on like, their industry and trends and kind of like the ecosystem that you're a part of because you are your solution is probably just one small part of their overarching right. job responsibilities so kind of getting a full picture too i think is important i would add to that we want to understand their problems and their pain points and the results trying to get out of their like their job not necessarily like related to your product right like if you sell pumps or an oven or an, like if you assemble something like, yeah, obviously, like you want to learn about the pain points that are applicable to your product, but it's kind of nice to get that whole total picture of who your person, who your audience is and the things that they're dealing with, even outside of the problems that you solve. I would also add to that list, what jobs are they trying to do, right? Like what specific things are they trying to accomplish? And is there anything that you can do to help their job get better or to help them achieve their results? So I'd ask those things. And then I'd also ask, you know, where, where are you spending your time online? Where do you get your information? Are you part of any associations? Do you go to trade shows? How do you like to receive information? Um, you know, when was the last time that you bought something for your company? And what was that buying process for you like? Like just really trying to understand like how they get information, how they buy and and what motivates them to purchase something. Like understanding all that at one, a customer interview is something that you can learn and can scale out. Uh, so I think all that's really important. Um, yeah. I think those things, like everything we've mentioned so far is like universal. So we say customer interviews, but really customer research is valuable, even if it's somebody that hasn't done business with you. So like a lost opportunity or maybe somebody that's just in the prospect stage. Um, I think when you are talking specifically to customers, though, another thing is to ask like why they bought from you. Maybe not in those words, but like what what they see as your differentiators and right. why they trust you and do business with you. Um, because those things that we try to define for ourselves, we just, we don't have, we can't have a clear head about identifying those things. Yeah. And totally. And like, yeah, where do you see my product fitting in the marketplace? Like how, how would you classify my product? And that's something that you can use in positioning, which we're going to talk about in a second. So um, just like in terms of tactics, right. I think, Listen, if you're talking to an engineer or a purchaser or maybe like a president of the company, everyone's super busy, right? So don't like say like, hey, let's do a two hour, two hour interview, right? Like book a 20 to 30 minute interview, do it over Zoom so you can record it or find some other way to record it if you are in person. You want to bring, you want to be able to take the whole interview back with you uh, so that you can, you know, analyze it, process it and put it into a form that's going to be usable for you um, into, uh, you know, creating content and campaigns. Uh, we like using just recording a Zoom. Zoom gets you a pretty decent transcript for free if you want. 
Um, or you can send it to a comp- the, the video to a company like rev.com and they have human transcribers or AI transcribers that will do a better job of transcribing that for you. Um, it's a lot easier to analyze and process when it's in a word format instead of you know voice, but having that voice piece is really important. The other thing I'll say on the customer interviews, ask if they can do a case study, right? Like we want to fuel our uh, content and our campaigns in the future. And case studies are one of the best pieces of content to use. So maybe ask if you do a case study with them uh, if they haven't done one in the past. Uh, Aaron, anything else on customer interviews that you want to hit before we move on to the next piece? No, I think that's a good like five minute primer. Cool. Okay. So from customer interviews, we like to move into positioning and positioning, I think can be something that you can do before interviews, but you always want to validate your assumptions with insights from the customers. And some of the assumptions are things that you could ask in a customer interview uh, to, you know, either prove or disprove your hypothesis. Uh, So on the positioning front, you know, I think a lot of us that have gone to business school have all learned like about the positioning statement, you know, the classic like Jack Trout, how to do positioning. And it's I, I have found that framework to not be super helpful myself. It just doesn't provide you enough information to build um, a narrative or content off of. Aaron, do you have any experience working with like those uh, traditional positioning statements? No, I don't think I've touched one since business school, yeah. honestly. Yeah. I... In-house, I had worked on that because that's just what I knew. So I tried to like do you implement the things I learned in, in marketing school. And uh, it just it was something I did. Like it was, it was like a nice exercise I did. And then I just never touched it again, um, which is kind of a shame uh, looking back on it now. Wish I would have done it differently. But I didn't know how to do it differently. So let's work with you here to, to do it differently. Uh, so we use the framework uh, from April Dunford called Obviously Awesome in her in her book. Uh, she's actually got a new book coming out that I'm looking forward to reading. Uh, but Obviously Awesome kind of just lays out uh, a different way to do positioning. Uh, and I think it's a really helpful way even for... she. Her book is more geared towards um, software and technology. But I think it's really valuable uh, for in-house marketers at manufacturing companies. So some things that we want to learn about are like, who is your ideal customer, right? And we want to like learn like everything about them. So think about your customers, like the ones that have been the easiest to work with, right? So they're easy to work with. They like your solution. They don't fight you on price. They don't fight you on delivery, right? They're just like really easy to work for, right? Like I would classify that as your ideal buyer. Um, So we want to try to emulate them as much as possible, right? So how many employees do they have? How much revenue do they do? They do? Uh, what types of industries are they in? What types of products do they sell? Do they use any other types of equipment, right? Um, like, let's say you are, um, I don't know, a machine shop. Like, do they use any specific tools? Or do they, you know, like, you know, stuff like that. Um, like, or do they use any specific software or any other like manufacturing processes? Just to like really narrow down and like, these are the exact right people that we want. Uh, you know, and then from there, who do they consider for your solution, right? If they're trying to solve a specific thing, right? They, maybe they want to automate the specific process and you have a machine that does that. What other alternatives are out there for them to do that, right? I think a lot of times we'll see like a manual process is probably the number one way that a lot of companies will do your pro- your thing. Um, but then maybe there's some other companies that have some sort of automation or a different machine or a robot that that does that. And so they, they'd be a part of their consideration set for a new, for a new customer. Um, anything else there, Aaron, that you can think of for competitive alternatives? I would just like list out everything that's possible, 
Yeah. The way I always phrase it is like, what would they do if your company didn't exist? Because a competitive alternative is not simply other businesses you compete against. It is sometimes usually a manual process, like Brendan said. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, And then what do we do after uh, we do alternatives? Oh, then we do what's different about you, right? What differentiators do you have? What unique features do you have? What unique attributes do you have? Just list them out, you know, just get on a spreadsheet or Word document, just list out the things that are different. I will say my rule here is don't talk about quality and don't talk about customer service. Those are really great things. And I'm sure your company is really good at them, but every company says that, and there's not really a differentiator there. Now, if you have something that's specific to quality or customer service, let's talk about it, right? Let's say like maybe your, your company has 24 hour customer support and your competitors only have business hour support. Well, that's a difference, right? Now we have, now we provide support all day or maybe quality, like maybe use a very specific type of material that doesn't erode, uh, you know, in this chemical environment. That's a differentiator that leads to quality. But it's like, what is the thing that leads to quality or what is the thing that leads to good customer service? That is the, that is the unique attribute or or the feature. Uh, Aaron, anything else that you want to add on unique features or attributes? No, no, you nailed it. I think quality and customer service are the most common like mistakes to make there. And oftentimes they're true, but you just have to be incredibly specific. So Aaron, how do you like, I, I think we all know, like, it's nice to have all these unique attributes, but that doesn't usually mean anything to the customer. So how do you map out making sure that it is valuable to the customer once you identify those unique features? Yeah, I think I think the easiest way is to just kind of take that unique attribute. So let's say it's that, you know, a specific type of material that doesn't erode in um, this certain work environment. Um, ask, so what? Like, why Why does that matter? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, it stops parts from breaking on site. Why do they care if parts are breaking often? Well, it's because parts cost money and then you have to go back and find a replacement. It adds time to your manufacturing process. And long story short, it increases costs by, or long story short, maybe by reducing that erosion, you also reduce costs by 5%. Right. Yeah. So you have your feature and then like, let's look at, you know, what does that feature enable the customer to do? And then what does that, what value does that provide? And I was like, yeah, I think you just nailed it, Aaron, right? Can you attach some sort of monetary uh, level to that? Or can you attach any sort of time savings to that? Um, right. And like try to put it in, in terms that your customer is going to understand. So we basically want to figure out like, yes, we have this cool thing, but it provides this monetary incentive or value or time value to our customer, right? And do that mapping for them. Otherwise, it's way too hard for, you're, you're, you're just asking your customer to do a lot of work. If you start you know, doing your features and benefits list on a, on a product ad, you're asking your customer to do a lot of work to map that value themselves because they're going to have to, right? Every, like whenever you buy something, you have to map the value of it for yourself, right? Whether it's you know, myself buying a pair of shoes or you know, a, a customer buying a you know, $500,000 CNC machine. Right, like we, they have to map the value somehow. So do the work for them because your competitors probably aren't. So that gives you another marked advantage. Um, cool. And then from there, you know, I think we look at market frame of reference, right? So what what arena are you playing basketball in, right? Are you a are you a CNC machine shop? Are you a custom assembler? 
Uh, are you an injection molder? Like just what business are you in? And this helps us to provide context um, for your customers so that they know like, oh, here are the, here are the, the things that are table stakes here, right? All injection molders kind of have this thing. So, yep. Okay. So now, you know, our company plays in that realm. So we're injection molders. And so we can play off of how people see the current injection molding market. And then I think, you know, Aaron, what do we look at when we're talking about strategy there, right? So you're in a specific market, but there's a couple of different ways that you can position yourself inside of that market. What are they? Yeah. I would say most of our um, clients that we work with in the industrial space are either positioned head to head. So there's some established competitors and you are, you know, trying to win market share against them. Maybe you're among those leaders Mm -hmm. um, or you are a big fish, small pond. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like like a niche section of a larger piece of the market. Yep. Yep. The, the last one is um, basically creating a new category, which is really challenging to do. And it's pretty rare. I think most of the time when people think they're creating a new category, they're actually a subset of an existing category that people understand really well. Yeah. So like an example from software would be when you think about like the big, the big uh, CRM software, right? Salesforce is the the top dog in CRM software. But when you start getting down, like there's a ton of niche ones that have kind of, you know, figured out like where they're at, like, um, you know, HubSpot's got a niche, like for like, I think strong reporting. And then, um, you know, like look at like Pipedrive that's like really focused in on, on the sales side of things. Uh, then there's a bunch of different ones for different industries. Like if you're a lawyer or a doctor, or you have a car repair business, like there's a ton of different ones that are all positioned themselves to a specific segment. So it's basically just, you would do the same thing for your your specific segment. So, but yeah, Aaron, you're right. It's usually head to head or some sort of uh, big fish, small pond niche kind of sub target or positioning. The last thing on positioning is trends. Um, April Dunford says this is optional and I agree, but this is just like, is there anything in the political business, economic, social realm that is happening that you can latch onto? So a lot of times, like Aaron, what have you been seeing as like uh, uh, trends that have been popping up for us uh, over the last couple of years for manufacturing? I think sustainability is a big one, yeah, especially totally. with um, impending government regulations about reducing emissions or like plastics by a certain amount. If your product helps your customers achieve that goal or meet those regulations, that's huge. And that should absolutely play into your positioning. Totally. Yeah, sustainability is big. I would say labor. Right. So talking about like maybe people retiring with specific skill sets or difficulty finding labor or, you know, trying to elevate labor. Right. So instead of like someone doing like a super manual thing, like, can we give them a more advanced skill set to work on this machine or do this programming or something? Um, What are some other ones that are out there? Yeah, I definitely. Yeah. Sustainability. Climate change is big. Um, Oh, new technology, too. Right. We're talking about like maybe like robotics or artificial intelligence or machine learning or um like new automations things or even like we talked about earlier like did your customer use another really specific machine well maybe like is there any updates or trends that are going on with that specific machine uh that would require a lot of like very specific questions in a customer interview um but if you can like get like land on something that is very specific to their niche instead of just something that's really big like sustainability i think that makes your marketing a lot stronger but it's also like it's optional. So don't think like you have to always add in trends. It has just make sure it's like really relevant to your business. 
Okay. Yeah. Your customers will probably be talking about it in interviews like, gosh, I'm really worried about this regulation that's coming yeah. up or I'm really excited about this new technology. So Aaron, once you have laid out the positioning, how are you using it? Yeah, the, the most immediate place I use it is to build my audience, right? Because the very first step is kind of identifying yeah. who you need to target. So it's really helpful in audience building. I also think it's really helpful in the early stages of like copywriting for ads, like identifying what types of campaigns you should run around like, you know, certain problems, um, certain uh, unique attributes. Uh, I'm trying to think beyond that. I mean, it also helps you develop your content plan, right? Like, you know, this is where I'm positioned in the market. What, what kind of content or evidence do I need to produce that like conveys this, this position? Totally. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'd add there is I love like having that, the value map, like the, the features map to values. Cause that, I think that gives you a lot of good ammunition to use instead of ads. And, and when you're, you know, messaging mm -hmm. your audience from a value perspective, instead of a feature perspective, I think they just differentiate your, differentiate your messaging compared to what your competition is probably doing. So the other thing that we do with the positioning, like, cause we know this is going to be very like bullet pointy, um, very short sentences. Uh, it's not going to be like nice brand language. So we do want to give this positioning some life. And the way that we do that here at Gorilla is through crafting a go-to-market narrative or a brand story. Um, and this one, I, I love this. It, it just, it gives a lot of life to your positioning and gives you a lot of really good language that you can use inside of your content and campaigns. So Aaron, you want to just hit like, what the what that what, what a go to market narrative framework they could use is and and how to start implementing that yeah it it follows like the basic structure of storytelling right and um donald miller in his book um is it crafting a story brand creating a yeah. story brand yeah crafting, um, crafting a story brand yeah it, it applies it really well to the business world but it's it's just the basic principles of storytelling right i think a lot of um industrial companies center themselves is like the hero of the story. You're not the hero. Your customer is. They're trying to solve an important problem and you are helping them solve that problem. You're really more of like the guide. Like you're like Yoda, you know, and your right. your customer is Luke Skywalker. So that's I think the biggest piece of importance when you're approaching like creating a brand narrative. Yeah, it just it it kind of just flips the framework on the lens that we use when we talk. I I see Aaron, you've probably seen this too. Like we we look at a lot of industrial companies, right? We are on a lot of websites, like with new clients, or you know, looking at competition, or looking at uh, maybe like uh, you know, trying to do some audience research for our clients. We go to a lot of industrial websites, and a lot of times, what we see is companies talking about themselves or using a lot of we language, and that just kind of turns people off, I think, and it doesn't help connect with your customers. And so instead of saying a lot of I's and we's, we're saying a lot of you's and yours, right? Um, it just it connects a lot better when you start trying to reframe your message in that way, um, instead of using your company name or, or we. Um, is there any, you know, a lot of times we talk about the storytelling through the hero's journey, like you said, right? Is there any interesting story beats from a romance novel? Because I see you posting a lot about that on TikTok that we could pull into industrial ma marketing. Yeah, I, I am an avid uh, reader and I do I do enjoy the occasional romance novel. I'd say um, 
I mean, those follow pretty much like a, a three act structure. Um, and there's always like the trope of, you know, the third act breakup. That's like kind of the big major conflict in the book I'm and sure it gets solved. So like, yeah, think, think about what your like third act conflict is like, what is this moment of peril where, oh my God, the, the machine line's about to go down and our hero yeah. doesn't know if they can, can save it. And it sounds dramatic, but it is seriously dramatic when, you know, a production line goes down, that's a lot of money and a lot of stress. Right. So, um, it's kind of the 11th hour. How does the guide come in and alleviate that stress and solve the technical problem that's happening? Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, if we're looking at the hero's journey way of, of thinking like, yeah, make your customer the hero of the journey, right? So we're looking at like the customer is Frodo, right? He, and they got a job to do, right? Frodo needs to bring the ring to Mordor. That's the task that he was given. And he runs into a lot of a lot of problems along the way. But one thing that he has is he has a guide and his guide is there or his guide is Gandalf and Gandalf gives him a plan. We're going to form the fellowship and we're going to walk south to Mordor so you can drop the ring in Mount Doom. And if Frodo follows that plan, well, and there's also a villain, right? I think that's another big thing to talk about here is there's a villain in the story, right? So, you know, Lord of the Rings, it's the great evil. It's Lord Sauron. Um, in romance novels, you know, it's a big breakup or it's maybe, a, what is it? The, uh, the other, the other guy. There's yeah. The guy, right? ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's always another guy. So, um, like there's always a big, bad, evil guy. So who is, who, what is the big, bad, evil guy for your customers? Think about that. Right. And they, like, when you ask them in customer interviews, like, what is your main problems? What are the things that keep you up at night? Well, big, bad, evil guys keep people up at night. Right. So maybe we can reframe the story into like, you know, your customer fighting, fighting that. Um, and then, you know, so if, if Frodo follows the plan and he works with the fellowship, this good thing happens, right? He brings the ring to Mordor, he drops it in there and Sauron goes away, the orcs go away and everything's peaceful in middle earth again. If Frodo doesn't follow the plan and the hand or the ring falls into the hands of the Nazgul, uh, bad stuff happens, orcs overrun middle earth and everything turns into Mordor. That's bad. So we don't want that. So yeah. Who's your hero? How are you the guide? What are you giving your customers? Who's a big, bad, evil guy? How do you help them solve their problems? What is the good thing that can happen if they work with you? And what is the bad thing that'll happen if they don't work with you? Infuse. Yeah. And I think, yeah, go ahead. I was about to, like, just putting it in this story context. Like, obviously we're talking about Lord of the Rings and romance novels and it sounds silly. And like, what, what the heck does this have to do with industrial marketing? But it really um, humanizes the problems that you're solving. Right. And it just grounds it in, we're talking about telling a story, but it really grounds it in reality, right? Because this is, you know, it's not the exact story of what your customers go through, but it should feel like pretty typical for what your customers go through, right? So it just, I don't know, it gives it an air of like authenticity, you know? And this is a place for you to bring in quotes and insights from your customer interviews and things that you learned in positioning and bring those all together into one document that you can use for all your content and campaign creation. And I'll say from my perspective, you should have your customer call reports, your positioning one sheeter, your go-to-market narrative all pulled up on a screen next to you while you're writing content or while you're working on campaigns or ad copy uh, so that you can bring in that good language that, you, that you've that you worked on here, uh, this foundational work that we're talking about. And you bring that into the things that your customers are actually gonna see. No one's going to see your positioning. No one's going to see your narrative besides, you know, internal to your company. But all the things that you're putting in there should 
show up somewhere in your copy in your you know content or your copy or your campaign so cool it's the common thread yeah exactly all right next is uh, a content plan i'd say this might be optional or not like i don't know if you need to create a whole content plan for 12 months but you know we probably should look at like hey here are the next things i want to make for the you know the next quarter so um aaron how do you view the content plan yeah i think it's kind of the final piece of your foundation right like in your like positioning work your brand narrative and through your customer interviews, you've kind of decided like, okay, this is what I need to say to my ideal customers to, you know, communicate what problems we solve and, you know, have it resonate, right? We figured out what we need to say. Your content plan is like, this is what I need to produce to like convey that message. Cause you're not just going to, you know, publish your brand narrative or your positioning one cheater, you know? you're going to publish content that is informed by those foundational pieces. So this plan is kind of, you know, the final step. What types of content do you like to create? Um, Depends what resources you have, right? I think for sure landing pages and uh, long form or, or mid mid length articles are, are really good. If you do have capabilities for videos, um, that's great. I think, even recording your equipment running at a trade show on your iPhone, like yeah. that is video content and that's totally attainable and usable. Like I think sometimes when you get into like video, it feels like there's this really high bar. Do you need a professional videographer and don't tell our videographer, Nick, I said this, but you don't need that right away. You can create good yeah. uh, lo-fi video yourself. Yeah, totally. Um, I love that. I think some other things too, like, you know, a podcast like this, like this is infused with all of the foundational work that we've done at Gorilla or, you know, industrial marketing live. That is another like form of content that you can create. Um, you know, like maybe like a good video product demo that really shows off like what your product's capable of or what your, you know, assembly line's capable of. Um, yeah, the sky's kind of the limit here, right? You could test out a lot of different types of mediums, right? Like maybe it's like a TikTok video or maybe it's a long form YouTube video, you know, an article, like so a case study or an expert article uh, that talks about a specific topic and, you know, trying to educate the audience. Maybe it's an email newsletter, right? Um, just, I think what you said, Aaron, though, is like having that common thread come in from your positioning, your brand story, your customer interviews and just having all that good information infused into everything you're going to create that that that's key the thing that i like about the content plan and we're not saying like it's got to be this this grand thing it could just be like here's the here's the thing i want to make and maybe a topic maybe an outline if you want to get crazy uh, but just kind of like lay out like here's the things i want to do for the next quarter just so you have some plan moving forward um and then you can you know kind of build that into like, so content plan into creating a campaign plan. Cause a lot of times we'll use that, that content as the fuel for the campaign, right? Like we write this article and it fuels this, you know, retargeting expertise campaign we're trying to do on LinkedIn. So you can kind of build them, uh, build them together. Um, yeah. And it's a good way, like, it's a nice document to give to leadership to say like, Hey, here's, here's my plan for the next quarter on things I want to, I want to build out to. And it helps you just build that, that trust, uh, with leadership, uh, you know, because I know a lot of you out there, like at the coordinator 
or the manager level. And, you know, it's, it's nice to go in with a document to hand someone uh, to get buy-in on, on what you're doing. So Aaron, any other comments you want to make on the content plan? No, I, I would say like, it, it can feel kind of daunting to say like, even for the next quarter, like these are just the three pieces I want to make. But if you're stumped on like where to start, go back to those problems you identified from customers and think about like the one that sales or engineering has to address the most often, like write an article that breaks down their thinking and how they would talk about it with a customer. And then that's perfect. It's a great asset for you and marketing, but also like sales enablement. I, I love that. Yeah. Ask your sales, like what, what questions do you get all the time from prospects? Boom. There's a topic. I also love like how to do something. All right, here's a step-by-step guide on how to do something, or you know, here's how to like here's a here's our design guide to X. Here's how to make this. Here's how to use our product in this application, right? Like really basic stuff like that. I think uh, really helps people do their jobs better, right? And yeah, so I think go back to those interviews and look at you know what jobs do my customers need to do, and then can I write a piece of content to help them make that job a little easier to do. Cool. All right. I have a, I have a couple other things here. We probably just uh, maybe, you know, <laughs> lightning round these, Aaron. Uh, but I think there's some other things that we can do um, on the foundational side before we jump into content and campaigns. Uh, so I think the first thing is just, you know, doing keyword research, uh, you know, just understanding what words people are using uh, so that you can, you know, have some SEO value in the content you're creating. Um, I don't know. We use SEMrush for this. There's a lot of other tools, Google Search Console. I think we've talked about uh, keyword research on the show as well. So um, keyword research, pretty basic. I don't know. The next one I had, Aaron, was like buyer personas. What do you think about buyer personas? I don't know. I feel like it's like the general um, sentiment of buyer personas is like still important. I think it's kind of becoming like a, a little bit of a dated term yeah. or activity in marketing. but. Um, just ensuring you're addressing the right customer groups. So I think thinking in terms of like job titles, like making sure you're targeting the right specific type of engineer that is influential in the buying process. We kind of, yeah. Personas seem a little, at least how I've seen them, especially like when you look like like HubSpot information, they're a little um, highfalutin and up in the clouds a little bit. And there's not a lot of specific details um, to like actually go and create marketing. So I usually lean more on your on ideal customer profile that we kind of talked about earlier in positioning, right? Like, so that first step in positioning is I did understand your ideal buyer. Well, I mean, that's basically like your ideal customer profile. So what if your ICP or, you know, sweet marketing acronym. So it's just like <laughs> the really detailed things about your customer and why they would buy from you. So we kind of already hit this. You could make personas if you want, right? Like, engineering Elise or engineering Eric or production Paul, right? Like you can do that, but I've never really found them to be super valuable. Yeah. Have you, have it's you ever used them? <laughs> I don't really use them. I typically go more for like the ICP, but just yeah. hearing ourselves talk about it, I'm like, yeah, this is all marketing jargon. You're really just yeah. trying to know your customer and yeah. document in some way. So. Right, exactly. Um, next one is just, you know, getting a good lay down of the marketing channels you're going to go in. And I think this is all based on where your customer is spending time, right? Like how does your customer get information, go to those channels? I think it's that, that easy. I, you know, we do a lot of LinkedIn here and like Google ads, maybe YouTube, maybe TikTok for you. 
Um, any, any, any comments here for marketing channels? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I would just recommend, you know, maybe you can try building audiences on both and see what looks like it's going to be yeah. most effective. You can test out both, but recommend focusing on just one to start. Yeah. Um, I think next one I th- we'll talk about here is an- analytics and KPIs. Um, you know, when we're talking about strategy, I don't know if we've ever done like a strategy episode here on TMM, but when I think about strategies, it's kind of like the ends, ways, and means for you to actually accomplish your goals. And to me, a strategy is all about like getting you to that objective. And so you just have to spend some time with probably with your leadership team and understanding what those objectives are, right? What are we trying to do for revenue this year or this quarter? What do we want as our profit margin or what do we want as like our total profit? Um, you know, how many leads are we trying to build? What do we want our pipeline to be at? You know, like I think really basic things like that. Do you have any other any comments on on KPIs, Aaron? No, I would just echo that the alignment piece is a really big part of it. Like you kind of just said it in passing. Make sure you're having that conversation with leadership yeah. um, before you launch anything. And like, remember, like we smart goals. I think everyone's heard about that, right? So specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and and time bound. You know, I think it's really easy for a leadership to say we want ten percent you know, revenue growth this year. But it's like, well, you know, based on what how big your audience is, maybe that's not realistic. Or maybe it's not attainable. Or maybe we don't have the budget to make it attainable. So just make sure you have those conversations with them. And yeah, you're aligned and on the same page um, before you start going into creating campaigns. Because like, there's no point in creating campaigns if you're not going to hit the, you have no shot of hitting the goals, right? Don't waste the money and figure out something else that you can do to hit those goals. Um, cool. Well, Aaron, I think that's all we need to, uh, need to cover here. I think there's a lot of other additional things you can do here, but to us, like those initial four things, customer research, positioning, that brand story or go-to-market narrative and a content plan are like the things that you should spend time doing, you know, and it's probably going to take you a couple months, but spend the time to do that so that everything else you do moving forward is really strong. And has some, yeah, has some like vigor and some life to it and really sets you apart from your competition. Your competition is going to hit your your customers with bullet points after bullet point after bullet point about features and specs. And that doesn't move people. Stories move people. And you're not going to get stories unless you talk to your customers. You're not going to build a story without crafting it, right? It's not just going to happen. So from my perspective, just spend the, spend the hard time and and get this work done and we've already said you know there's a lot of other things in there you probably probably some good interviews on youtube about how to do interviews uh there's or maybe some podcasts about interviewing definitely check out april dunford's obviously asking for positioning check out donald miller's uh crafting a story brand uh to talk about story brand um yeah and then like build a basic content plan aaron what are your, your main takeaways here for for this foundational marketing work yeah, I think the only thing I would add to to what you've said is we're talking about it as the foundation. It it doesn't have to be set in stone. You should be regularly doing customer interviews. Like your buyers change, your market changes. Um, this should be solid enough so that you have consistency, you have focus, but it shouldn't be like, you know, set in stone so that you can't be like flexible and adaptive as you learn new things. Right. Totally. Yeah. And I think we see things change fast. And so, you know, when 
when COVID happened and things started shutting down, that changed how people did business. And I think we probably could have done a better job responding as companies if we would have gone back and you know spent a month trying to understand what the new foundation was, you know, going into the, what the pandemic is going to look like. And maybe you don't have all the answers, but at least like you've put some intentional thought into how things might have changed. Maybe you have a chance to interview a customer to like, hey, how how are things changed for you now? So you know, maybe you know we have an election coming up next year. Maybe that changes things. Uh, you know, there's a war going on in Ukraine. Maybe that changes things. Maybe climate change gets worse. Maybe you know, like, they, like there's a lot of things that can happen externally. You know, when you're talking about politics and business and economics and the social structure of our society. So when things change, maybe that might be a good prompting for you to go back and redo things or just have a steady cadence. You know, maybe you go revisit it once a year or, you know, every two years or whatever, whatever works for your business. But yeah, I think you're right. This is a foundation that's not built in stone and it's not under the earth, right? Like, yeah, revisit it and, and modify it. Like, and, and I would say the other thing for me is just always pull this stuff up. Don't let it collect dust, continually open mm-hmm. it, make sure that it is in the other department's hands too, right? It's really easy for all this stuff to sit within the marketing silo and not give life to other departments. But if you want your sales team to collaborate with you, maybe give them your go-to-market narrative so that they have language when they build a sales deck or they do a sales call. Maybe give this to customer service. You know, maybe give this to engineering so that they can develop products that answer these problems. And you know, it's a, maybe it's, and it's another tool that Gandalf can give to Frodo. Um, you know, as part of your plan. So share this with your company. Always modify it. Always update it, um, and just make sure it's grounded in customer research. Cool. All right. Anything else? No. Nailed it. All right. Heck yeah. Cool. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Remember, every first and third Thursdays of the month, we have Industrial Marketing Live. It's our online web show. We get you know fifty plus marketers in there. Me and Aaron are always in there. Or I I miss a couple because <laughs> of traveling, but uh, Aaron and Peyton are there very frequently. I will be at the next ones. Um, if this one comes out in time, we're talking about the go to market narrative specifically with one of our writers, Grace Halverson, uh, Thursday at ten. So that what is that going to be? June fifteenth, and then I think what is we bringing Mary back two weeks from now. So I guess when this oh, comes yeah. out two weeks from Mary, now, we're bringing Mary exactly. Keo back former senior strategist from Gorilla76. She's joining us to talk about her first 90 days as a marketing leader for a SaaS company. So that's going to be interesting to see what she's learned, uh, you know, leading the charge in-house, hopefully to provide you all some some good uh, insights there. Um, Otherwise, yeah, so go to industrialmarketinglive.com to register for that event. We hope to see you there. And then in the meantime, uh, reach out to me or Aaron and we can get you hooked up with our Slack channel. It's a community of industrial marketers. Uh, it's called Industrial Marketing Life Slack. So same name. Uh, but there's, what, there's like 160 marketers in there right now. And people are sharing oh, yeah, things with their jobs. They're sharing projects that they're working on. Uh, they're getting questions answered. Uh, they're meeting up sometimes to do like a live thing on Zoom. So, so get in there and just make your life a little easier. I know a lot of you out there are, you know, one or two person teams that are kind of struggle busting their way through industrial marketing. Well, you know, a lot of people with a lot of experience are inside of that Slack community. Let us help you. So yeah, reach out to us and we'll get you all set up. So Aaron, I also appreciate you joining me today. Uh, This was a fun conversation. So everyone, thank you so much. And we're going to catch you next time. Thank you.